This episode is sponsored by Appian, a technology leader in driving digital-first insurance transformation. With Appian's low-code automation platform, you can build enterprise apps and workflows rapidly in an agile environment. A professional snowboarder or just, you know, training people? Yeah, so I was... Not technically a professional, like I competed, but I was certified to instruct people. And it's crazy because as an instructor, obviously with snowboarding, you carry the risk of like somebody falling and breaking their back. That's probably like the most high risk type of injury. And so we were insured for $10 million limit of liability, mm-hmm. but the premium was only $180, which always blew my mind because it seems like such a crazy risk for like an insurance company to underwrite. And I was like 16 teaching these people who, you know, some of them were like six-year-old kids. Some of them were like 70-year-old adults and everything in between. And so um, I taught at several different mountains. I taught both uh, what's called downhill and freestyle, which means like jumping and tricks um, but I Holy never shit. personally competed. I broke my back. So that was, that's probably why I did it. Okay. So usually, you know, we get to talk about insurance and premiums and the risk a little bit, you know, in five minutes in the show. No problem. And you started already talking about that, especially when your experience w- was when you were what? 16 as a ki- <clears throat> not ski instructor, snowboard instructor or both. Yeah. Snowboard. Snowboard, of course, yeah. It's like I prefer snowboard. It's like I think it's more <laughs> stable, although it's not really. Yeah, you need to learn how to fall in snow. You need a little bit of judo experience yes. when you know when you go like, yeah, I want to do snowboard. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, cool. I actually did judo when I was a little kid. Um, of course, you did. I loved judo, and then I actually did compete in judo professionally, and. uh I threw, I got thrown one time, hip throw, and I broke, not broke my neck, but I injured my neck really badly. I had to get therapy for like three months and I stopped competing in judo as well. So I'm very injury prone. Yeah, yeah. Let's roll it back a little bit. So you broke your back, you broke your neck, you broke anything else? (laughs) I broke my arm two times, my wrist, uh, I fractured a rib. I live life on the edge, listen. Okay, yeah, and this is why you are a founder of an InsureTech. For the people who don't know you, and I think that we first met, and once again, it became Des Moines, the, the capital of uh, of insurance. Um, yeah, so we met at one of the GIA events. Tell people a little bit about, you know, your background, beside the fact that you fractured, broke all kinds of parts of your body over time. Yeah. So by training, I'm a computer scientist. So I've always been into computers and math. And um, when I went to school, I studied computer science and business. And I just hated or I didn't hate, but I thought it was inefficient to have to read really, really large textbooks like thousand pages to take a 10 page exam. That's like 1% of the content. And so in 2013, when I was in school, I said, 
can I teach a computer how to read? Because that to me is the easiest option. I'll teach a computer to read textbooks. It'll take, and basically it'll teach me how, how to study for the exam. So being a computer scientist, I worked on it and I got it to the point where I could stop going to class. I could just summarize my textbook four hours before taking an exam and still get a straight A, maintain my scholarship at, you know, one of the best schools in Canada. As I worked on it, it was uh, just an app for students. My, f- my friend said, hey, put it out there. I put it out there. And two weeks later, it went viral. It was in 33 countries, 44 of the top Ivy League schools in the world, you know, Princeton, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Russia, China, India, Brazil, Portugal, Switzerland, Netherlands, you name it, it was everywhere. And it went on to be named one of the best 50 apps for students of all time. So clearly, you know, we'd found a niche, but students don't have a lot of discretionary income. And like, you know, 99 cents times a million users doesn't buy you much today, at least not in Toronto. It's a very expensive real estate market. And so um, I worked on it as a hobby for two years until in 2016, I was invited to a machine learning conference where I presented on natural language processing, which is how we teach computers how to read. It's just a fancy way uh, to say teaching computers how to read, really. And so I came, I presented, and An audience member sent me an email saying, hey, I know this is an app for students, but I think insurance can really benefit. Do you have five minutes to chat? And so that was really the first time I'd ever heard of insurance. I'd never thought of insurance. I'd never worked in insurance, never really planned to go into insurance. Can you share who was the mystery man? It was one of the five largest brokerages in the world. Okay. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. It's a a pretty large one. And so... um, I met with, with the senior VP about six times in, in eight weeks or eight times in six weeks, I believe, actually. So it was you know, very rapid for a big company. And at the end, they said, hey, can you teach a computer how to read policies and binders to help us reduce our errors and omissions? Because errors and omissions kill us. And so, you know, being, I think I was like 19 or 20 at the time, I said, yep, I can definitely do this. And uh she cut me the biggest check I'd ever seen until that point in time. And we were off to the races. I dropped out of school. I officially sort of started working on this business. And now almost five years later, we have two products. We've gone on to win the Zurich Innovation World Championship, the Accord, the Accord, you know, InsurTech Challenge, DIA's top 30 most innovative solutions, top 100 innovative most solutions. You name it, we've, we've racked up a lot of accolades. But I think it all comes down to the team, the product, and the customers. That's, that's what makes it so good. One of the big five reached out to you. They scouted. They had a problem. You build a company, right? You are now, well, that was 19. So let's assume you are 24 now. Let's a little bit go. older. It's been like eight years. Doesn't matter. Roll with it, man. Roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not jiu-jitsu but you we can all um so and you have two main products what else is broken in the insurance industry that they need your solutions oh my god okay i mean i don't think anything's broken let me start with that i don't think broken is necessarily the right word i would say we've identified somewhere between 15 to 21 touch points where we can have an impact. So 
it really depends, you know, how granular you look at it. If, if you take like the biology example, like, are you looking at the cell? Are you looking at all the different parts within the cell or even within the different parts of the cell, the cells within them? So, you know, some of the things that we see are like quote comparison. I know that there's a lot of great tools out there that are good for like personal, where you can go on and, you know, compare car auto quotes, home auto quotes, but there's nothing that really exists like that for, for example, you know, commercial lines for when you want to help uh, a, as a broker, help your customer make an informed decision. So that's one example, something that we're going to come to market with and, and we hope to help. Um, things like coverage suggestion. So you know how Amazon has like other people like you also bought this. Very, very great example. It's called a recommendation engine. Great example for machine learning. Again, very, very useful because oftentimes policies uh, just renew. And so one statistic that I love is that 50% of people in the U.S. are underinsured because as their property, and it's typically their, their house or something like that, as the property value increases, could be like a truck, could be... Um, you know, something that's not depreciating, but an appreciating asset as it goes up in value and they just renew the limit, eventually the limit isn't high enough to cover the asset. And so 50% of the time you, sh you can, you know, do a service to both the policyholder and yourself by saying, Hey, you're actually underinsured. Let's bump up the limit a little bit and they'll be happy to pay a little bit more in premium. And then as the broker, of course, your revenue share, the commission of the total premium goes up. And then of course the carrier is happy because the premium has gone up as well, because if God forbid, um, you know, there's a fire or something and then they can't even afford to rebuild the house. It's just enough to cover like half the property. That's a very messy situation for everybody, everybody involved. So coverage suggestion is another great example. Um, of course, there's a lot of things in like claims. So a lot of what I talked about was on the front end. Then there's also the back end. Uh, preventing claims is probably the most interesting thing. Um, I, I remember speaking to somebody once who told me, you know, without giving away anything, secret that like they ended up co condensing their questionnaire from like 50 questions down to three because they figured out which three questions were the most important for predicting fires and restaurants so again things like that make it a better customer experience make it a because again nobody wants to answer 50 questions and then it also ma makes it more accurate and and removes all of the fuzzy data that doesn't really matter from the equation and so Without giving away all of our like future plans, I would say we see 15 to 21 different touch points. We will probably only build seven to nine solutions uh, in the next five years at least, because just, you know, it takes time and money to build 21 products. How, how big is the team now? We have about 30 full-time employees and we use uh, some, some contractors to help us with different aspects of the business as well. And you define yourself as pure AI company, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, InsurTech's probably the right word. Although when we started, we certainly weren't a vertical play. Now we mm -hmm. are specifically in the insurance business and we'll probably stay that way for a long time. Now, I'm a huge fan of using machine learning in the right way. And especially when people are starting to shout, oh, we do AI and then we have this machine learning and go like, yeah, but machine learning is part of the AI. And do you do something which is more than linear regression? Please tell me about it. I'll be more than happy to actually learn what you're doing. And we've seen, you know, great, co of course, I'm on the advisory board of a Pinpoint Predictive, love what they do, especially on 
they have several interesting products uh, in Florida and a couple of other locations. Atidot are doing great in the life space. And of course, another local-based uh, uh, AI company, uh, Relativity6, who is based here in Los Angeles. So big fan of the space. What other uh, AI companies you find interesting who Ooh. play in the insurance industry? Or we can say interesting by interesting and interesting by yeah yeah they are they know what they're doing so i'll tell you what i'm personally like a fan of and really appreciate is a lot of the open source ai companies because i think they interact with every industry not just in short tech but they have a big basis so like you know hugging faces is probably one of the most famous uh companies like spacey uh, even Facebook and Google contribute things like BERT and a lot of these really great technologies that we can then leverage. Um, you know, they've spent tens of millions of dollars training the model. A lot of AI startups don't have that type of money or computing power to you know process trillions of data points. And so I'm personally very thankful for like those types of companies because then we're able to come in and we're able to um, basically tune them, take the last mile. And as you're familiar with the last mile problem is the most famous problem in basically any industry because you can lay in like telecommunications, you can lay really great wiring, but then it's the copper wiring that slows down the network because that's what goes from the, the hub in your neighborhood to your house. And until they change that to fiber, it doesn't matter. You're never going to get faster internet. Sort of the same thing here. So we're, we're the ones who are delivering the last mile where I think it's been failed for so many years because before you didn't have these types of open source contributions, you had to be basically like a conglomerate or like a really big company with a lot of backing to play in the space, which is why there were so few players. And in the last few years, we've seen such an explosion in this space because it's become so cheap and so accessible to build these technologies. And so... Um, those are the type of companies I'm really thankful for. So let's talk about the last mile there or the last okay. meter or yard. And uh, let's call it the InsurTech uh, application. How do you okay. see the usage of AI in the by other InsurTech companies? There'll probably be even more, but right now to me, it seems like there's going to be two distinctions between sort of the AI revolution and there'll probably be like AI 1.0, 2.0, probably even 3.0, but I know at least there'll be 1.0 and 2.0. So I think right now we're obviously in 1.0. You could even argue we're in like 0.0. Um, but I would say the main focus today where I've seen AI deliver the best results is data extraction. So what it means is taking unstructured data, that means emails, PDFs, Word documents, Excel, PowerPoint, databases, silos, you know, data lakes, all, the, all these fun terms we've come up with them along the years, and getting the data out of them. Version two will be building things like, okay, help me predict the best consumer for this type of policy. So getting insights or analytics from that data that you had to go out and structure because, you know, without good, clean data, machine learning is nothing. 95% of all machine learning is just data wrangling, which means cleaning, filtering, deduplication, 
and a lot of other fun things that you have to do. And so I think that's where we are today. We're using machine learning to create data in some sense. And the next type of machine learning will leverage that data to help us make more informed decisions, predictive analytics, a lot of these good things. And so um, I think a lot of companies today, if they're not working on stage one, then they've partnered with companies to help them solve stage one. And so we, we are a company that's solving stage one. Our main core processes today are focused on unstructured data to structured data. But there are companies that try to offer like stage two today. And what they do is they go and they leverage off-the-shelf solutions or partner with other insurtechs to solve that stage one problem. So most of the companies that I speak with, what they are yeah, sort of complaining is that it's very hard to get the insurer data, right? It takes from, you know, there is a long procurement process and how do you get the insurance data so you can feed it back to them again? How do you solve that? Or did you encounter that problem? Ooh. I was going to say, like, that's like a billion dollar question. If like, how do you solve that? <laughs> um, I'll tell you some tricks. I'll tell you some tricks, but... Don't it's tell all your secrets. Yeah. Don't show your secret sauce. Just uh... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard because you know, I would say people are becoming a lot more cognizant and aware of like the value of data. So like things like you know, into like for a movie that people might relate with, like in 2005, when Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook, like there was no such thing as data privacy and people were, in fact, willing to go out there and give away their data. And even companies acted like that sometimes. It was very easy to come in and try to convince somebody to give you your data. Nowadays, you know, data is like gold. Everybody knows that. Everybody's protective of their data. And in fact, sometimes they're protective of data that's not even theirs or not even like unique or proprietary. They're like, yeah, we can't give you the Accord template. It's like, you, do you think somebody, you think that competitor across the street gets a different Accord 130? Like, you know, like, what do you think is happening here? Like, they're all going to be the same form, right? And so sometimes people, I think, are overly protective of their data. Mm -hmm. Um which that's no, no, no. Yeah, it's it's so funny because a court's supposed to be an organization that a non sort of non profit organization that standardizes those forms and is all the members supposed to use the same forms and a standard. So what's the point of not sharing a standard, right? That's the main idea. But again, I, I'm being facetious here. I, my pronunciation. Go for it, yeah. You try to pronounce it now, yeah. It's going to be two Israelis trying to speak English. <laughs> facetious, facetious. And we'll go with Ron's uh, <laughs> example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I think a lot of people are protective of their data. Now, let's set that aside. If you actually want to get data, I think it starts with a couple of things. I think, first of all, it starts with, um, obviously, you data security and like uh they're gonna have architecture reviews compliance all those things so you gotta have your ducks in order we've seen a questionnaire with like 400 ish questions oh, listen, and obviously like that's very intense so you gotta have your ducks in order a lot of companies now are starting to become a little bit more forward thinking and they have more 
um, like light or like bulk, uh, yeah, like lightweight or speedy POC templates. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you got to make sure you're able to answer 400 questions. Like where do you store the data? How's it encrypted? What happens if there's like, you know, a business continuity plan, all these things that you got to have in place. That'll speed it up because if you don't have that, it'll take you two months and that's just going to slow you down. Um, I've, I think the next thing is also making sure that you are very specific about the data that you need and that you make it as easy as possible for the client to collect. I think we used to shoot ourselves in the foot because we would ask for very specific data that was hard for somebody to get and they would have to manually basically like sift through and get it. Whereas now we have a more general approach where we can basically find the data ourselves. If they give us a data dump, will do the cataloging, if you will, to identify which artifacts are relevant. So that process takes the work off you know, the customer or the, the partner and brings it on us. Of course, that's more expensive for us. It's more time consuming for us, but it means that the data gets to us faster. And in most cases, you want to be master of your own fate. People love to hear gossip. However, if you have some sort of a partnership or another success story, please share it with the audience. Okay. Um, yeah, so I can talk about, about two partnerships that we're very excited about. So uh, I'll start with the most recent. So we've recently partnered with Exceedance to help them deliver the world's best and fastest, I believe, solution when it comes to policy checking, powered by Chisel AI. So um, Exceedance is a well-known firm helping a lot of customers uh, in the insurance space with policy check. Used to do it uh, manually effectively. And now they'll be partnering with Chisel to use our solution on the back end to help automate that. So we're very excited about that partnership. But the, the one that I can speak to maybe a little bit um, more concretely because it's, it's been going on for longer is obviously our, our partnership with Zurich. As I mentioned, we'd won the Zerk Innovation World Championship in 2019. And as part of that, uh, we won a pilot with them. And then after a long uh, you know, pilot and procurement process, we're finally in production, which we're very excited about. And so we've been able to also help Zurich with our policy check solution as well, where they've been able to use it in their construction lines of business to check policies, deliver on contract certainty, and... Uh, I believe they're using it to check all of their construction policies in North America. So that's very exciting for us. And hmm. we, we hope to expand it to more lines of business in the, in the near future. And so we'll, I'm certain that we'll be able to talk a little bit more publicly about some of the other lines um, that we should be expanding to soon. Are you going to be at ITC? We will be at IT, I will be at ITC and I'll also be even talking on a panel at ITC. Fantastic. Because at the same time as ITC, we have another show that that's one of the things that I'm working on and that's going Ooh. to be Blueprint. Same time on the third level. ITC is second level okay. and Blueprint on the third level. And the reason cool. I'm bringing that is because it's based on real estate technology, property technology. So all the things that are construction a development, of course, it's going to have its own VCs and uh, startups and that ecosystem. There are so many overlaps with insurance and, you know, construction, that's one of them. And if you want more data points, yeah, construction or real estate, it's all about smart homes, smart buildings, smart city. I don't know, smart country, maybe. <laughs> but 
I think that's where there will be a beautiful cross-pollination when it's your technology you can use there, the data points that they have you can use on the other side. So it's something to bear in mind as you plan your ITC schedule and do almost and check both of those shows together. Yeah, awesome. That sounds cool. Yeah, it will be. And we're all hoping that things will go great and we'll see you all in Vegas the beginning of October. Fingers crossed, yes. Oh, we will be there. I, I'm triple vaccinated. And <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. I, I had the first shot end of February, fully vaccinated since March. Can't wait for the third shot. It's like... I don't know. Just bring them on, man. Bring whatever, <laughs> whatever helps the immune system. That's like, yeah. Cool. Love Wonderful. It. Before we say goodbye, I'll ask you the same question that I'm asking everyone that comes uh, as a guest on the show. Can you please give us a recommendation about a book, a TV show, a movie, or any habit that you picked up since March 2020? Oh, since March 2020. Okay. Since, yeah. You want before? Sure. Let's do something. No, no. I, got, I got one for you. Give me a minute. So let me get you the exact name before I start talking here. I'm opening my Kindle app. <laughs> so while he's looking for, although I can just cut it out. And mm. uh, later on, I'll recommend Billion and Billion by, um, by this. Oh, Jesus. Now I need to check the name of the, the author. I got, I got mine. So I'll go and then you can go. Um, huh. Yeah, for sure. So I, I love reading books. I'm a big fan. I, I wish I had a little bit more time, to be honest, to read books than, than I do. Um, but two great books that I've read since March 2020 are by the same author. The author's name is Michael A. Singer. One of them is called The Untethered Soul. The other one is called The Surrender Experiment. And they both talk about um, living life sort of without taking things too personally. Because I think oftentimes we can get lost in the day-to-day -day emotions and we are so tied, you know, either fearing the past or fearing the present or sorry, fearing the future and, or reliving the past that we're not enjoying the moment. And I found that especially during, you know, the pandemic, a lot of people were alone and I know mental health was top of mind for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I found these books very, very helpful for me personally. And so I would recommend them and, uh, the guy's also very successful. They're, 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 I would say, life books with a little bit of business in them. He doesn't talk at all about business. He doesn't talk about how to run a business, but he talks about the life skills, the virtues, and the mindset that he brought into his business that he believes helped his business succeed. He's, you know, a billionaire without, you know, you know hyping him up too much. So uh, love those two books. Don't hide people that already are billionaires. Come, they, they made it. They made it. Fair. Now, tell me about the rig that you have. What's the spec? You, you have your own podcast, right? I know that I promised that that was the last question, but I have another one because you run your own podcast. What do you use? Yeah, so we use an Audio-Technica AT1100, I want to say, is the microphone. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
No amplifier. I, I actually run it straight through USB. That's cool. it. Nothing fancy. That's it. That's it. Camera, lights, something. Uh, no lights. I'm just, I have like a good setup in my room where I'm, I'm equally lit from all four corners. And then I have a nice like HD Logitech uh, C9300, C930 HD webcam. Nothing too special. It's just not even like a big Canon like yours. It's not a big, it's the smallest one, right? Uh, I finally got, so it's, the light is super important. And then because my usually setup that I sit, you know, for meetings is super boring. So I'm on this side of the room. So it's a little <laughs> bit weird, but yeah, I've, I'm using the Canon M50 Mark II. Super Ooh. convenient. It has a nice, it's, it's the light is uh, almost the cheapest as well. Um, the only problem is that it doesn't work with the Apple's new processor. So I'm actually use, I'm using an old Mac to stream oh. it. Oh so no. It's like, and you reach out to Canon. It's like, uh, it's under development. We'll never tell you when it's going to be ready because we'll be liable and go like, yeah. Do you realize that your customers, your target customers are usually like, not a priority, they are the early adapters. So if there is the latest Apple product, they will use it. Come on, guys. Yeah, exactly. Prioritize yourself. We don't care about the Windows machines. We are like sort of, well, not Mac heads, but still, you know. Yeah, so true. Get the hint. But again, <laughs> anyway, I'm digressing here. Uh, let's say, uh, well, I wanted to say let's talk insurance, but it's more about <laughs> Ron. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me, Gilad. My pleasure, man. Have a good one.